Amen. Let's read Luke 18, 9-14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Amen. So it's just a couple of verses this morning we'll be looking at, and let me share a little bit of the context of the passage. We have the Pharisee here. Now, the Pharisees were a religious group. They uh, tried their hardest to obey uh, the law and uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible. They had all kinds of rules to govern uh, the way that they lived. They believed because they were following these laws and because they were obeying uh, what God was calling them to do, that, uh, that they were set apart from everyone else. They had this, this, this focus on the rules, on uh, the regulations, and they had a lot of favor at this time. They would be at the big events. They would uh, be very present and very powerful. So we have the Pharisee, and then we have the tax collector. The tax collectors, on the other hand, and we can kind of imagine where I'm going with this, they were considered some of the worst members of society. All too often, they took more than the taxes that were required. They were despised. They were frowned upon. They were taking advantage of people. They were, uh, they were called cheats. Some people would see them as cheats. And we see these two characters approaching the temple to pray. And we see very two different prayers. I want to start this morning by asking a question. If we were in that scenario that Jesus illustrated, approaching the temple, what side would we be on this morning? What character, what the Pharisee or the tax collector, do we resonate with? Where would we be at? How are we approaching God this morning if we are being totally honest? How do we approach Him day to day when it gets to the Monday morning, we've got the week ahead? Are we covering up? Is there a sense of duty? Is there a sense of longing for more of God in our lives, in our mess? How do we approach Him? It's extremely challenging, that question, isn't it? It's extremely challenging. And we will see afresh in this parable what Jesus is so against, what he's so against. So I want to use this parable as a heart check this morning and to allow God by his spirit to do what he wants to do. Why don't we very quickly just pray again before we unpack this and invite God's spirit. Lord, we give you control. We pray, come Holy Spirit. We give you permission to pull out weeds this morning. Will you realign us to your desires, not ours? Will you pour in your love afresh into each and every one of us and remind us who we are in you, that we are treasured by you? Will you do only what you can do? We pray that this is a significant morning for each and every one of us. Will you break chains this morning on insecurity, comparison, 
attainment, achievement, pride, shame. We pray, Holy Spirit, will you break that off this morning? We declare freedom in this place. We declare, let your will be done. Amen. I want to look firstly at the Pharisee, and I want to look at the problem with pride. The problem with pride. And first of all, it fuels comparison for superiority's sake. Uh, how many people have been away on holiday already? Has there been anyone? A few people. How many people are looking forward to their holidays? Yes. There's going to be like four people in church. Yes. <laughs> we have our holidays in two weeks. Uh, we have two weeks in August. We're so looking forward to it. We're going to get away. And I've just seen Insider News. There is a bit of a heat wave coming, isn't there? Uh, I'm a bit worried. I've got to be honest. I uh, burn with anything over 13 degrees, as you're well aware. So if you see me on the following Sundays getting progressively redder, uh, you will know what is going on. You will know what is going on. Last year, uh, we managed to go on a very last-minute trip to Malaga, uh, which was incredible. And uh, we had some very generous friends who gave us uh, a villa there. We just needed to get the flights. And uh, it was one week before we moved to Inverness. So we had that, will we or won't we? And we decided, yep, let's just do it. Let's get packed. So we had all our boxes, and then we packed a suitcase, and we went to Malaga. And it was incredible. It was an amazing holiday. And we flew with Joshua and Struan, which is an achievement in itself. We managed to get there. And uh, we got to the airport. And I don't know about you, but I love airports. I love airports. I could, I could literally just sit in a coffee shop in an airport and just watch everybody. I love people watching all the stories, where they're going. And what me and Mary used to do, we don't do it as much now, but have you ever like sat with somebody else and go, imagine what they're saying. And then you start saying what they're saying. Does anybody else do this? You should try it. It's really fun. It's really fun. So me and Mary would spend our couple of hours uh, just doing that. Yeah, it's quite sad, but it's hilarious. Uh, so we would do that. But uh, it was a full-on holiday. It was great. But I found myself this week being really challenged by this passage for a number of reasons, and it reminded me of our holiday experience and probably our parenthood journey and our life journey because although it was full on keeping our two boys entertained, going away for a couple of weeks, I found myself and my people watching going, ah, we're not as bad as that family there. Look at that little boy kicking off. Joshua's sitting here quite the thing. That's okay. Or we're doing just okay. And, oh, look, look at that family. They've forgotten wipes, Mary. They're at Boots getting wet. We have five packs in our bag. We're doing okay, love. We're doing okay. I found myself doing that. And then uh, I had a, a bit of a worry. I went to the toilet with Joshua. We went to change his nappy. And uh, there was one of those emergency cords. You know the emergency red cords? He was trying to pull at it. And I was like, no, Joshua, you can't do that. And so I wrapped it up and I put it to the top just so he wouldn't pull it while I changed his nappy. And then uh, while I was changing his nappy, the, the tannoy came on and said, gate 26 to Malaga, now departing, please. And I'm like panicking, going, oh no, we need to go, we need to go. So I got, him, I got his nappy changed. We got out of the, the room. There was a guy waiting to come in. And so I let him in. And I, in my rush and stress, I realized I'm the kind of person that now somebody else is looking at me going, I'm glad I'm not like them. But I got onto the plane and then I realized I hadn't put the cord down. So I had this thought, oh my goodness, this man has went in. This elderly man has went in. The emergency cord has put, has, is still up there. What if he fell? And I had this picture of getting Malaga and looking on the BBC News and seeing a headline. And fortunately, nothing happened. 
but I had a massive panic at that point. But it was absolutely okay. And then I got home, and I don't know about you guys, but when you get to the airport or when you're meeting friends after you've been on holiday, you do the tan test, don't you? You do the tan test. And for me, the tan test, obviously, is just slightly red with a couple of freckles. But I was at... I was at, back in the office after arriving back, and I thought, oh, I'm doing okay. You get white t-shirt on, don't you, just to make you look more tanned than everybody else. In our parenting panics, in our busyness with life, in the day-to-day, in the crisis moments, in the celebrations, at any major or minor point, we can look at others and think, I'm doing okay. I'm not as bad as them. And often we don't realize we're doing it. We use comparison to justify ourselves our own shortcomings, our journey, our sin. Ah, it was only once. I don't really struggle with it, God. It was just one slip up. Or I'm not addicted. It's not like I speak about others all the time. I'm encouraging as well. We have these scales where we justify, where we normalize, where we defend our own behavior. And we see this behavior with the Pharisee. He's so confident of his righteousness. He's praying with an arrogance and an unself-consciousness. And I'm saying, I'm an upstanding member of society. I'm pivotal. People look to me. I'm not like everybody else. And that kind of language and that kind of approach is so dangerous. It's toxic. And we miss out. We miss out. Perhaps we do it in our walks with God when we're at Sunday morning services, when we're in small groups, when we have quiet times each day with God and think, I'm doing well, I'm serving, I'm giving when others aren't, I'm not crying, I'm not coming to the front and crying every week, I must be doing okay. And we miss out. We see in verse 11 in the passage, God, I thank you, I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector just get a wee drink. I love a good quote for those of you that know me well, or a Bible verse. And I came across a really, a quote which stuck out, which stuck out as I was preparing uh, this talk. And it says, listen to this, when life gives you every reason to be negative, think of all the reasons to be positive. There's always someone that has it worse. Now that is awful, isn't it? Let's just break down that quote a little minute. I'm feeling bad. I feel awful. But there's someone else feeling worse. What a thought when we're having it tough, isn't it? What, what a rubbish quote. I'm not getting a tattoo of that quote. That should break us hearing that. It shouldn't build us up. The Pharisee is believing it is pleasing to God to rattle off a list of people that he isn't like, who have it worse that he is good, that he is upstanding, that he is on an elevated podium because he hasn't committed anything to the degree of the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even the tax collectors. You can always, um, almost imagine the Pharisee rattling off that list and being really pleased. I wonder what God wants to say to us through that this morning. How are we approaching the temple? How are our hearts this morning? You know, a number of weeks ago, I spoke about comparison. And it's here again. And it's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. It's a daily battle for me. I don't get it right all the time. We are planting Inverness Vineyard Church. And planting a church leaves you very vulnerable. 
It's been tough. And we have no choice in that moment where we've left our jobs, where we've left our house, where we've left our friends, because the call of God, God's told us, and we are ready and we are excited. But we have no choice in that moment. We have nothing to heap our security on Jesus, to lay it all on him. When in September we moved into Mary's parents with all our stuff in storage, within this, in this bedroom and a little desk in the corner, which was Inverness Vineyard Church as we started the dream that God has given us in this, for this city. And it's my prayer when we have those moments, when we cling to them, and when things start to get rosy, when things start to build, that we don't drop Jesus off and marvel at our own situations when things are going well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Birmingham, and I don't know about you guys, but being in Inverness, when you go anywhere, big city down south, it's a bit of a scare, isn't it? It's a bit of a scare. Birmingham Airport, it's just like, wow, I'm not used to it. I'm like, take me back to the Highlands. Take me back to the Highlands. And I got to use an Uber for the first time. Has anybody used Uber? No, we don't have it up in Inverness. I don't think Inverness is ready yet for Uber. Now, Uber is an alternative to taxis. You've got a little app, and it's uh, people who go about in their cars with an Uber sticker on it, and they will take you to where you want to go, and uh, you, choose, you choose which one you want. They'll tell you the price beforehand, and then you review them, and they review you, and you have a rating, and then people will decide whether they want to pick you up or not. And uh, my hope is that we don't ever treat Jesus like an Uber, that we get the app when we need him most. We find out where he is and we ask for a pickup when he's needed. And then when things are good, we drop him back off. And we thank, we thank God that things aren't as bad as James in the office or Peter at small group or Lauren at the school gate. And I'm hoping and praying there's nobody with those names here this morning. I was, I was thinking, oh, I hope not. Because we miss out. But that's not all. So the Pharisee had this list of I'm not like the evildoers, but he had another list as well. And secondly, I want to say that pride creates a culture of boasting. So in verse 12, he said, he's saying, this is what I bring to you, God. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I have. And his fasting twice a week is really significant because the Old Testament law only required they, they do the Pharisees fast once a year. Yet the Pharisees would fast every Monday and every Thursday without fail. For him to bring to God his prideful declarations of being a moral, upstanding, disciplined, generous Pharisee, he thought he was sorted. He wanted everybody to know. Some commentators even suggest, was this a prayer? Or was this just a declaration of, this is how good I am. This is, this is what I'm doing. His pride brought into focus his good deeds and his works and not the goodness of God. He was doing more than the law demanded. So he thought he earned his right standing with God. He thought, I'm, I'm good. Me and God are, we're good. Look at all the stuff I'm doing. I'm sure we could all, if we went round the room, recall some childhood exchanges of boasting Happens in the school playground all the time. Things like, well, my dad is bigger than yours. Or my dad's car is a 1994 Ford Mondeo. This is the kind of things I said. Well, my house had a tree house. Well, my trainers were 50 pounds. Yours were only 20. And here's one that I said once, and I've wrote it down. And I don't know what. And this isn't true. Well, my dad drinks tenants. <laughs> I remember saying that. 
And I went back to my dad and he went, I do not. I remember saying, it's ridiculous. Isn't it ridiculous? I was about nine or ten years old. My dad drinks tenants. But we all know this kind of boasting can be destructive. We see it in the sporting world, don't we? And if you think of boxing matches, all that chat before a big fight can be quite entertaining, but also it's, it's, it's destructive. And it can have a subtlety to it. And one of our biggest dangers is social media. One of our biggest dangers is that platform because it's polluted by it. It's selectively updating our, what is going on in our lives. I read a great little article in a magazine called Christianity Today, and it writes it up brilliantly. It says this, the personal screen, especially with its attached and always available camera, invites us to star in our own small spectacle. As our social media network chimes, blinks, and buzzes with intermittent approval, we are constantly updated on the success in gaining public affirmation. But having attracted us with the promise of approval and belonging, the personal screen can just as easily herald exclusion and hostility. Oh, deleted my Facebook for a wee while, I think, after that. Isn't it true? Isn't it a challenge? And the Bible is very clear on boasting. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, no, Let no one boast in men. James 4.16 But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Jeremiah 9.23 Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. wonder what our response is this morning. Where is God highlighting how are we vocally selective to set ourselves apart? How are we boasting? What do we need to lay down this morning and give to Jesus? And as I was praying about this point, I, I had a word. I felt actually for someone here, we know we've been doing it, but it's been for survival's sake. It's been what is keeping us going. It's like the reminders, the words we speak to boast and show off is filling a tank temporarily. And then it drains a little bit. Then we go back and it's getting tiring. We'd love to pray with you this morning. To turn it on its head, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 30, the ESV version says this, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. When we are weak, He is strong. When we boast of our weakness, God takes the glory we long for this church to be a church where the Holy Spirit moves and has his way. Where we see signs and wonders, where we see healings and miracles. And I've got to be honest, I'm a bit frustrated just now because I, I'm hungry. I want to see God move. I want to see people healed. I want, to, I, want, I want to meet with God in a powerful way. I want more of him. But we must be open we must allow God to explore our hearts. We must not hold back. We must let God be God. I want that in my life. Less of me and more of God. I don't want to miss out. I don't want thousands who don't know Jesus out with these walls next door. In parts of these building, in this building, in this city, who don't know him to miss out either. And out of our deep love 
and encounters with Jesus overflows our mission and our mandate to go, to go and love this city, to go and be used. And we don't boast about the things that we're doing. We just marvel at the power and presence of God, his saving grace. We celebrate him. We worship him. We yearn for him. We surrender to him. We long for him. There's a song uh, called, I Will Boast in Christ, that says this, I will boast in Christ alone, his righteousness and not my own. I will cling to Christ my hope. His mercy reigns now and forever. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Where do we, what do we need to bring to Jesus' feet this morning? What areas of our lives is he highlighting? Are we to bring a stop to? Are we to be open to? So we have the problem with pride. And then, very briefly, we have the power of humility. We have the tax collector's prayer. A man who was despised and frowned upon, considered a thief and a cheat. In verse 13, it says this. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He was at the edge of the temple, he couldn't step any further forward. He was at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He wouldn't even look up to heaven in reflection of his own unworthiness. And he beat his breast. He was confessing in this moment he was a hopeless sinner, pleading for mercy. When we look at that word, plead in, in mercy and pleading for mercy, translated from the Greek, he isn't asking for God to overlook his sin. He was pleading with God to do whatever might be required to deliver him from his sin. And that uh, motion of him beating his breast, it reminded me of, you know, the way you're playing football and uh, you see football World Cups on just now and you see, I don't know if you've seen the Germany game last night. Oh my goodness, that was roller coaster stuff. Anyway, uh, some players, when they score, don't they? They slide across the turf and then it's that thing, the badge, isn't it? Yes. But this action actually was the same as the people at Jesus' crucifixion. In Luke 23, 48, when they heard of what had happened to Jesus, it's an action of deep anguish to the heart where everything flows, where it's hurting. So there's a humility to the tax collector. There was an honest evaluation of himself before God and he went home justified, made right through Jesus' death on the cross. He received a righteousness which was not his own, forgiving him of all his own unrighteousness. And a perfect righteousness was credited to his account. No other way of salvation but through Jesus, through what Jesus has done on the cross. I love the tax collector's approach to the temple. There's a realness to it. There's a rawness to it. There's a real rawness to it. There's an openness to it. There's no airs or graces. There's no pretense. There's no act. It's real. It's humble. He knows his shortcomings. He knows he's got nothing to bring. He humbly comes before God and he prays a simple yet powerful prayer. Humility is biblical. It's biblical. And James 4 Verse 6, God resists the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Joyce Mayer, who's an American church leader, she speaks of some character traits of a humble heart. And these are a real challenge. Let me run through a couple of these. The humble can always ask for help and they don't insist on everything being done their way. They are patient and don't get frustrated with the weakness of others. They are quick to forgive others, difficult to offend, and content to wait on God for vindication when they have been wronged. A humble person sees their own weaknesses and can readily admit them. When we open up to others about ourselves, it can actually encourage and help them realize they are not the only ones who deal with these things. A humble person happily serves other people, and they don't do it to impress others. They do it unto God, knowing their reward will come from God. And then finally, a humble person is very thankful. When we live with an attitude of gratitude, it releases joy and power into our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a real challenge, isn't it? Lord, would you, would you move in our hearts? Help us have more humility. And as I close, I realize there's been a lot in this uh, parable with pride and humility. And I just want to ask us, how are our hearts again? How are we approaching the temple? We read that humility list and maybe we've thought, not the great of that, not so great of that, a bit of my weaknesses and I'm there, not the most patient and I'm there, I could go through every list, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. And I look at the Pharisee and we've joked about my airport experiences, but often that comparison with other people is the sustainer where we should be humbling ourselves before God. In our parable, one man looked into his heart and he found what he thought was good. Another man looked into his heart and he found only what was evil. Let's be a church, a people who pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's not let the enemy build walls of self-sufficiency and pride. What is the enemy stopping in us through pride this morning? What is waiting to be unlocked? Perhaps there's something really exciting, a really exciting adventure. It's my prayer that we, that we pray have more of us, Lord, this morning. Have us all this morning. St. Augustine, who was an early Christian theologian, sums it all up perfectly. He says this, The Pharisee was not rejoicing so much in his own clean bill of health as in comparing it with the diseases of others. He came to the doctor. It would have been more worthwhile to inform him by confession of the things that were wrong with himself instead of keeping his wounds secret and having the nerve to crow over the scars of others. It is not surprising that the tax collector went away cured since he had not been ashamed of showing where he felt pain. And this next little bit of the service, as I bring a close, we're going to come to the doctor. We're going to stand. We're going to wait on God's Spirit. And it's my prayer that every one of us will give Him our pain, that we'll open our hearts, that humbly we will come. 
that humbly we will come to the foot of his cross. Every burden we carry, he can lift off. That is, that is my prayer for us this morning. Why don't we stand?